there's going to be a fire lit across my shins. They had kind of a uh, gas jet, big gas jet set up with a lot of uh, openings to it, a lot of apertures. And I register my surprise. First it's shock, and then it's surprise, and then it's fear. And then I start to scream. That was very good, Lou, very good. You know, and I'm screaming, screaming for a couple of minutes. Very good, Lou, let's do it again. And so I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again. I got the feeling after a while that they just wanted to watch me scream, uh, which is cool, you know. I had nothing better to do at the time. They told me afterwards that they were getting a lot, that the police were... Uh, I don't know whether the police were on their way, but the police, the local police switchboard was being flooded with 911 calls because they heard somebody screaming terribly in the woods. They wanted people to investigate it. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hello. Hi. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod, and come to the second Speak All Evil Presents film screening July 21st on the roof at Bayside Bowl in Portland, Maine, 8.30 p.m. free event screening the 1982 horror anthology Creep Show. Going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait for that. This week, summer loving Cat has uh, picked a couple summer loving movies for us to enjoy. I think we're going to start with a movie from 1981 called The Burning. One night at Camp Blackfoot, some teenagers pull a prank on the camp's caretaker, Cropsy. But the joke goes terribly wrong, and the teens leave Cropsy for dead after setting him on fire. But no one can keep Cropsy down. A few years later, the burned and disfigured caretaker returns to the camp equipped with his trusty shears, ready to unleash his particular brand of vengeance on a whole new group of sexy teens. I had never seen this movie. I'd also never really heard of it. And then I was kind of researching what I wanted the accompaniment to the other film this week to be. And I came across this little gem. And I thought this is a very underrated, fun Summer horror movie. Classic 80s summer slasher that I just didn't even know about, but you get a bunch of fun and bloody practical effects. You get a lot of scissor deaths, which I'm super into. You get a bunch of 80s boobs, like a bunch, like right off the bat. You get a bunch of titties coming at you. Um, But mostly, you get a guy just annihilating teens, a teen annihilator. My favorite scene is when he just takes out like an entire raft of teens. Mm. Just, whew. Great one. Beep, 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 beep. Um, but what I think made it my favorite scene besides the Annihilation was the lead up to it. It was a buildup that I guess I wasn't expecting. I wasn't really expecting a lot of, I don't know, like, I just assumed everything was going to happen exactly how I thought it was going to happen. But you get like a slow raft approachment in the, con- like, 
towards the canoe. You don't know if something's going to pop out of that canoe. You don't know if there's going to be a lot of bloody guts, a lot of bloody boobs in that canoe. You have no idea. And so it was just a very nice, suspenseful, made it very effective um, without being like, okay, let's move it along. Let's keep going. I thought, though, what really stood out for me in this situation, besides the, um, like the bloody gore and the boobs, was the acting. I feel like this was a star-studded, at least talent-wise, ensemble cast. Hmm. They all worked really well off of one another. It was very comical. It seemed very natural and funny. You got George Costanza in there with a whole bunch of hair. He's just killing it. Also, um, everybody's all really good at being stabbed. Um, So they did a great job there. I just thought it was the right amount of campy and seriousness. I thought the ending could have been really cheesy, but it kind of ended up pretty spooky and like eerie. Very effective. Very good. I like this little number quite a bit. I think it's a little disrespectful. His name is Jason Alexander. George Costanza. N- not Costanza. It's George it's Costanza. Actors done all kinds of different things. What else? Uh, was mostly he in? Seinfeld. <laughs> 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 I've kind of changed my opinion on the burning. I really enjoyed this movie. This time around, I watched this one time a couple years ago, and I was like, I think I was just in kind of an impatient mood, and I knew that it was Tom Savini doing the practical effects, and I was like, give me the blood, give me the guts, like, let's go, let's go. And this movie does take some time, um, but I appreciate it much more now. I think the acting is actually really good in this. For a, for a camp slasher from 81 that is just like... It's just a knockoff of Friday the Thirteenth. You have the, mm-hmm. um, you hey, have. Be careful! It was written before. Whatever you got, the old guy from the campground, whether it's the son of somebody, the caretaker, Cropsy, and that's a whole urban legend in itself. Coming back to get revenge on the kids. This is uh, not on VOD right now, only on Shutter, which it seems to go on and off Shutter like every six months. It's we're always watch, on we're, Shutter. We're watching it on Tubi right now. Yeah, it's on Tubi um, it, or AMC Prime, but you can't actually rent it. I think it just goes to VOD when it's not on Shutter, and then it leaves VOD and goes to Shutter because I saw it on Shutter uh, before now, and it, it just came back this month. I was interested to see the score was by Rick Wakeman. Wild. Of Yes, and also of my least favorite band name of all time. Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howe. <laughs> the offices Rock of... Rock band that sounds <laughs> like a uh, law agency. Did you get hurt Esquire. on the job? You're in trouble, buddy. I'm calling Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howe <laughs> on your ass. Great, great kills in this. That one, you do have to wait a little bit. It gives you the Cropsy incident, and it gives you, they just throw in a sex worker murder uh, at the top of this thing, which is pretty good. But then it does kind of make you wait, but the payoff, so worth it. The raft murder, five at once. Oh, I mean, that Love I it. could watch that scene for days. It's the most New York camp horror ever. Everybody in this sounds like, hey, 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 the whole time. I'm walking here. Even Jason Alexander, he's way more New York than he is on Seinfeld. He's all like, hey, hey, these goofballs. Hey, hey, gabagool the whole time. Everybody kind of talks like that and all the wisecracks and all that stuff. Uh, No sleepaway camp, but I had a lot of fun. This was a good pick. Thanks, Cap. The elephant in the room. (laughs) There we go. Is that... um, this was the first movie that really got the foot in the door for Harvey Weinstein. Mm. Harvey Weinstein's first foray 
into Hollywood and, uh, you know, judging by his reputation, you know, it's amazing that he stayed there from then until when he was finally, you know, just out of here. But I felt like watching this, like knowing that, knowing that he was a writer on this. He wasn't just a, a producer uh, or a part of the studio. Creator. He was a creator and a writer on on this. And so, like, it was really weird because I felt like when I was watching it that I was Harvey Weinstein's, like, psychiatrist. And he had just gone to camp and was telling me his version of, like, how, <laughs> how his summer was. You know, yeah. like, and, yeah. I, and I was, like, watching it like that. I kept on, like, you know, there's obviously all, like, every single girl in the movie at some point has to fight away advances yes. of some guy. Yes. And the guy has some flippant, yeah. you know, remark. Uh, no, he's just, when, they're just, this movie is horny. Yeah, yeah but it's more than horny because all of these movies are horny. Movie. This, this one definitely has the most, like, non-consensual, the most scenes where everything is about trying to talk these girls. Into- yeah. 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 And, and yeah. you know, just picturing, you know, Weinstein writing that dialogue and there's certain parts where he's, I'm just picturing some, like, fucking meathead skis bucket just be like, yeah, and then the guy goes, uh, he goes, yeah, fuck you then. Yeah. You know? And, and so... Yeah. He wasn't then, a writer on it, though. He, was. he wasn't credited as well, a, writer. a writer. Story by. Story. Story. That doesn't mean you wrote it. It, it was a collaboration, so I think, between he and his brother Bob. maybe we need to look into Bob Weinstein a little bit more, because he was credited with the screenplay. Yeah. Why aren't we looking well, into Bob well, thinking, Weinstein more? Thinking about Harvey writing some of these things, like, I started thinking about, like, oh, the, the killer keeps going for the throat every time. And then there was a lot of bare feet, and I was like, what is going on in the mind of this guy? But all like great mid-level i would call this mid-level it's a little under the radar 80s slashers uh a lot of them have this one thing in common where they have this one defining scene it's like an artistic scene uh there's a movie curtains that i want to bring in here soon that has like an ice skating scene that the rest of the movie is really dark and there's not great cinematography but there's this one moment where they do this crazy thing, and the boat scene in this is that, uh, and it's the it, the scene that kind of like earns its place in the conversation. And I thought that whole section was so great. Yeah, I love how they use the like it's almost a silhouette because it's always like sunlight and it's shrouded in shadows, so you just see like this this image of the killer, and there's always the scissors up in the air. Uh, right before the kill, and I, I liked a lot of the weird zoom in stuff they did, and they like cut to red after, after a murder. That reminded me a lot of Italian horror. Um, I I thought this movie was like artsier than most slashers. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a little bit smarter. There's no like crazy super strength or anything like that. Um, there's no supernatural elements besides for the fact that he's alive. Also, the um, the soundtrack, like the soundtrack is insane. Soundtrack makes this whole experience way more expensive than you expect from a slasher. Um, yeah, I, I love the burning. Um, it does make me feel different now that I know uh, that Weinstein was part of it. But he's probably, if you took everything out that he had his hands in, he was part of a giant independent film company the kind of companies that we want to champion around and we want to like, you know, see their movies. Um, and it sucks that um, he was a shitbag. 
So I have to give a shout out to John Maxit. Thank you. Uh, listens to the show and came into work one day and had gotten like some 4K like Blu-ray restoration of like this movie. And I had never heard of this before. And I was like, wow, like this is crazy. And then, you know, I researched it more this time. But at the time, I did know that Savini did the effects. Oh, what yeah. I didn't realize is that Savini turned down Friday the 13th Part 2 yeah. to do this movie instead, which is wild to me because he had just come off of Friday the 13th. What I will say is that I, I can't believe this was written before Friday the 13th and it didn't take off like as a franchise because like the Cropsey legend is actually rooted in like New York lore. Uh, it sets the whole premise up for like the camp, you know, camp setup. Um, they sort of wrap this one up kind of neatly. Uh, not sure why they didn't revisit it because as we've seen with Jason and Michael Myers and you can bring any character back at any time under any premise and the horror fans will keep coming back. What's the most interesting to me about this movie is the fact that the slasher like rules were sort of, they weren't quite in place yet in 81, but every girl in this movie that tries to not have sex dies nobody does drugs nobody's drinking you don't have a final girl in this movie you have a final guy and the final guy is actually a shit bag that created our antagonist and gets off like scot-free it's a really unique premise for a slasher film uh f like basically like, inverts everything like right on its head and like i mean we've talked about some movies recently where there was like inversions of like the slasher tropes um, so that was one of one of the things that I found the most interesting watching this for uh, just the second time. Um, I thought, like Trent, I agree with you. It, it gets off to like a really good start. The Cropsy scene in the beginning, and you guys keep calling him scissors. Cropsy is the caretaker, so those are his gardening shears. Great <laughs> weapon. <laughs> Love yeah. the great gardening weapon, shears. Great Jumbo size. A, like really <laughs> sticks with them too until inexplicably he comes up with a fucking flamethrower. <laughs> That is something I did not yeah. see coming, although it's a, a movie called The Burning, so maybe I should have uh, <laughs> maybe seen that coming a little bit more. They give you that great scene, uh, him running out of the cabin on fire in the beginning. It is like so clearly a guy in like a burn-proof suit, like if you want, just, like, oh, <laughs> just oh. flailing, just like the boobs will be for the rest of this movie. Hey, oh. He's just flapping around, <laughs> and then it does, it does like give you this bizarre scene where like I, I thought the hospital scene so Cropsey goes to the hospital obviously he, he's been horribly burned and he gets out of the hospital and then just goes and finds a sex worker yeah I'm not quite sure why you know that had to be that, that's a Weinstein moment right there mm. very maniac I thought yep yep good call um, and then you get like 45 minutes of a comedy of like wet hot American summer light <laughs> Or something right. like sleepaway uh, camp vibes too. Yeah, um, yes, yeah, yeah. Like the the softball scene or whatever. Like in the beginning, like that's got, that goes on for like way too long. Like it's an eleven minute scene of them playing softball, and I felt like uh, way a lot of scenes went on way too long. They were yeah. like rowing the boat for a long yeah. time when they were like, "Let's row the boat," and then well, ahead. you got to get it to ninety minutes, and then when it does get going, it, the payoff is great. You guys are all right. The raft scene is incredible. Although, like what I will say, Dave, is like you're talking about when he gets to like the raft scene and it keeps showing like oh, the silhouette and he like just keeps stabbing people for like the first four kills. 
he's stabbing the shit out of somebody and then it cuts back to the silhouette scene where he's lifting the shears up and there's no blood on them. But then, yeah, the, then the uh, the ending is, is great other than the fact that, honestly, like I said, I think the biggest shitbag in the movie um, gets away clean. He created a monster and then just gets to go live his life with his girlfriend who also survived. None of this would have happened if Cropsey didn't sleep next to a giant oil canister. Yeah, what was that <laughs> <Yeah>. about? <laughs> like, that's really not safe. I mean, I understand he he uses gas probably in his job with filling the lawnmowers and the weed whackers. But of course, right next to his bed is the gas canister, which unfortunately sets on fire at Camp Blackfoot. Love that name. I love the name of uh, Devil's Creek. That's where the canoe trip is going. Anytime you have creek, even like Wolf Creek, creek is just funny to me. Yeah, you're up a creek. You're down the creek. <laughs> sure. You should uh, watch Return to Boggy Creek. Creek it's of Dawn. A, it's creek. a Sasquatch movie. <laughs> Willow Creek. Creek on a leash. Ten kills in this, I counted. That's, that's pretty pretty high uh, body count for... It's a high body count, but you get five in under 30 seconds. Glorious. Glorious. Mm. And that really makes the whole movie. That got it put on the nasties list. So, like, Kat, I think... Oh, this was a video nasty. You picked another video nasty that Dave and Trent have been trying to drag us through. Mm. The original 72 the, British yeah, video nasties. A Weinstein British nasty. <laughs> you really have a knack for picking these really... <laughs> Oh, it's Sorry, a knack, all right. A and we keep saying, like, <laughs> teens and stuff. Like, there are kids just straight up killed in this movie. They're not teens. They are children. Well, what? They're not teens? How old do you think they I are? I think they're in so their I'm, mid-20s, I'm conf- really. I'm confused. I thought that, like, Jason Alexander and Fisher Stevens and, like, Tiger and we're Sally. Toddlers. I thought <laughs> No, I thought they were, like, counselors or something. Well, like Laser, who's on screen right now, he looks like he's 40. He was actually older than the the actual like camp leader that's grabbing him right now. So, but am I understanding it wrong that you basically had Todd and Michelle were like the only sort of adults involved here? That's a good question. I really couldn't differentiate between who is the camper and who is the counselor in this. I don't. I yeah. think that ta- I think it's Todd and Michelle clear. were the only like counselors. I think Todd was in charge of the boys, ah, Michelle okay. in charge of the girls. I think everybody else was, yeah. was were and actual campers. They, they were children. They basically separate people by being like, "Okay, older kids, watch out for the younger ones. We're going on a overnight trip this Free way." Labor. This is child labor. Who's doing the cooking? Is what I want to know. Who's cooking? Yeah, that part is not really well. It, it it doesn't really put much effort into distinguishing. Who, who's the uh, inmate? Who's the <laughs> warden in this movie? They're all in their twenties or older, so really, really hard to say. Seems like Cropsey was running this camp up until he got burnt. I liked that whole hospital thing you talked about, Kevin, where they show Cropsey. Cool yeah, after the incident, and the doctors are telling him to let go of his anger and resentment and not focus on revenge. And they're intoning, oh, the skin grafts didn't take. He's horribly disfigured for life. Don't go back to the camp and kill everyone, please. No, but like, yeah, like, why don't you be cool, bro? But we're still going to have all the employees keep coming in and like showing you off as the biggest circus (laughs) freak in town. And his arm keeps coming out and it's like all covered in like, looks like dog food or corned beef hash and like cardboard paper. I thought some of the special effects in this were kind of bad, but I didn't not I didn't hate them. But there was like a few times when people are getting stabbed in the throat and they're like gasping. 
<laughs> and it's like, it's it looks like, like a floating head you, is like right there while it's like a weird like skin graft is like laying on top. It was, yeah, but it was fun. I thought yeah, it made I mean, it Savini, fun. like Cropsy himself, uh, I, I guess they filmed a lot more with him in view and then they made the decision to not really reveal what he looked like until the end yeah which is, he looks great at the end i, I did I thought he so. super great. actually has been has uh there's interviews with him where he says he's disappointed in how he looked because he only had three days to come up with that that right makeup. and it was he had to go with kind of more of a melted look than a burned look he I looks mean, more like freddy this isn't yeah i was just gonna say this isn't just like friday the 13th ripped this movie off so did nightmare on elm street yeah it's very the freddy look victim. yeah I think one reason that this movie didn't get a sequel is because it didn't make any money. This is another one like The Prowler that has only really come to prominence more recently, become like a cult favorite and an an unappreciated favorite. But this was, I think, a million and a half budget. I don't even think it made a million dollars, did it? This didn't do anything. No, it made like under 800,000, I think, in the US, but it was a huge hit in Japan. Hmm. They made their money back. But like Friday the 13th made way more money than this, for, for yeah, example. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, but yeah, but then, you know, Friday could rip this off and then so could Nightmare on Elm Street. They could go on to have huge franchises. I think they took a lot from the burning. I think the burning. Yeah, it, definitely. It, it earned its cult status from a slasher perspective because, you know, maybe those movies just got it better. You know, like like you said, like when I was like, this movie is horny. Well, everybody in like Friday the 13th is horny. This one, it's like the dudes are super horny and the girls are like, can you please get away from me? No, thank you, uh, Well, apparently what audience wanted was like full horny. Oh, my Masters and Johnson? Hey, hey, hey. Gabagool. I feel like they killed off all the likable characters in One Foul Swoop on the raft. Literally anyone on that raft was more likable than anyone else in the movie. Although Glazer does get it and I'm very happy about that. He gets it right after he gets it. You know oh, what I mean? oh and he has a little trouble performing. Oh, well, yeah. But then she's like, hey, bud, don't worry. Maybe we'll do it again. He's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh Could be, God. bud. You just mosey on back here after you go do whatever. I mean, if you, you think doing. about who survived, I mean, this might even be more Weinstein than I thought. Yeah, <gasps> seriously. Oh, no. I think one of the greatest campfire story prank scenes, and we've seen that many times telling the uh, scary story to the kids and then somebody else comes up with the with the gag. A lot of near-miss kill gags in this. I thought there was a lot of suspense where Cropsy gets close. You're looking through the point Cropsy of view vision. of Cropsy. You have Cropsy vision. You have the Cropsy vision. <laughs> yes, yeah, kind of reminded me of It's Alive and stuff like that where the, the, the point of view of the killer is actually distorted. Um, a, a lot of that stuff I thought was really well done. They did that with uh, by rubbing Vaseline on the camera. Now, Kat, this is really a return for you. Um, we had coined this a little bit as like boob week. Mm-hmm. This is very, very booby week. That boob you heavy. I was noticing you have a, a stark contrast from the 80s to the 90s uh, for like the different boobs. Mm-hmm. Like they just go off in a little areola monologue for a second. Do you guys notice it in different eras? Like, Boobs look different. They're different shapes in different eras. Like you could show me a picture of boobs, and I'd be like, "The '80s." Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder I why like, that is. is it it evol- now, are, like... we, are we watching evolution in real time? I think so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's the hormones, probably the you know uh, GMOs, steroids. Mm. 
Um, Interesting. I'd like to, yeah, it's too bad we don't get a closer look at some of the boobs in the next movie. We could do a more direct mm -hmm. comparison, but we don't really ever see them untethered. It, it's weird that they could like change like that because I mean, like the torpedo boob is not even a thing anymore. You don't no. even see the torpedo yeah. tits I anymore. think that was more for breastfeeding. Oh, wow. And I'm as, really learning as a lot. fewer people breastfed and bottle and formula becomes more common, then maybe you don't need quite the... I would like to know how much research you've done on this. Well, I'm just I, guessing. I'm I just, just like that I brought up such a lowbrow topic and I got such a highbrow <laughs> answer. <laughs> I, I'm actually that, concerned. I'm worried. Sometimes you got to lean into it. Great ending to this movie. I, I thought it was a very satisfying ending. That's another thing I thought this movie did but well. But where did he get the flamethrower? He keeps that on the other side of his bed from the <laughs> can of gasoline. <laughs> I sleep with a crazy cast. My bed. Crazy cast, though. Like we've already talked about Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens, Holly Hunter's first movie. Yeah, I couldn't wow. identify her in this, what? but she's in it. Yeah, Holy very Hunter? quickly. I didn't notice her either. Yeah, very quickly. And she had said that she was getting like a thousand dollars a day, and it was like the first time that she could like cover her bills and pay rent. And this is the movie that she got her like Screen Actors Guild card for. Fuck yeah. Um, nice. Brian Backer, who plays Alfred, he was in like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You have Ned Eisenberg playing Eddie. Uh, he was in a ton of stuff. Probably most of you would know him from like Law and Order SUV. Um, SVU? Yeah, SVU, sorry. SUV. SUV, great car. <laughs> That's a different show. <laughs> great vehicle. Um, uh, Brian Matthews played Todd, huge soap act, uh, soap star. Uh, and then Leah Ayers played Michelle, and she would go on to star in Bloodsport. Blood <laughs> Woo! But most importantly, Glazer, he was the wrestling promoter in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man that oh. dicked Peter Parker out of his money and caused Peter to get all pissed and leave there. Wow. And that's how Uncle Ben died. Hey. Hey. Next up, in Cat's Summer of Fun Week, we've got The Tale as Old as Time, 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer. Woo! Finally. While out celebrating their senior year, four friends are thrust into secrecy with one another after hitting and seemingly killing a man with their car. When they reunite one year later, they are stalked by someone claiming to know what they did the summer before. As they try and escape the killer's grasp, or hook, they must find out who this attacker is and how he knows their secret. I thought this was a fun little attempt at a, a scream knockoff. I'm not saying I didn't hate it, uh, but eh, comparatively, she don't hold up as good. I don't think upon a rewatch, as as my OG, my 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 one true love, as Scream. Listen, I don't think it's bad. I would prefer it over other ones, but I just feel like uh, our J Love, Jennifer Love Hewitt, very much trying to be a uh, Nev Campbell situation, especially with those bangs, those stringy little bangs. We do have a bunch of hot and moody teens running around. 
uh, trying not to get murdered and being very dramatic about it, which you know that I love. It just uh, wasn't meta enough is what I kept asking myself during this movie. No meta in this. Yeah, no. I thought I thought that too was lacking. Yeah. I, I think, because I haven't, it's been many a moon since I'd seen this movie. And going into it, I thought in my memory that it, was going to be very much closer to the scream lines with the menace, but there was nothing. They were just kind of finding spooky notes. But, you know, it hot, it hit a lot of, you know, teen, late 90s horror movie boxes for me. Obviously, we've talked about the boobs. I don't know if we can talk about them anymore. We've already... Oh, we will. Well, think... Yeah, when you said she was running around with her bangs. <laughs> Five <laughs> minutes of this segment you know, will be about boobs. Yeah, you, well, you got to bring the bangs in it every once in a while. I don't know. I didn't want I don't think I need to watch it again for a little while. It had some fun slashy moments with the hook. It's exciting that we've got two, you know, urban legend based summer flicks this week. I didn't even think about that when I picked them. Lot in common, I thought. Lot in common, you know? I just kind of wanted to rewatch Scary Movie because I forgot how most of the references in Scary Movie are based on this one. Uh, but yeah, definitely a teen slasher classic, fun little 4th of July summer flick, yeah. didn't even plan that either, it's just kismet. I yeah. was just excited that we all got to watch it to celebrate the great nation that we all know and love, the United States of America. Can I get a round of applause? Hey, I love it so much. Hey, Me and my I uterus. I am so disappointed. Oh. Kat, I think that well. you came in to this episode thinking that you were going to get roasted. Mm-mm. And you tempered your description of this film to try to save some face. That's a hot take, Kevin. It's a hot take. I'm looking you in the eye. And you're not looking back at him. (laughs) (laughs) I feel a gaze, a male gaze over here. I'm I'm not about to mansplain anything. You keep talking about Scream. It was written by Kevin Williamson. Mm. He wrote it before he wrote Scream. Once again, this is another case of the... Everyone thinks this is the ripoff. It was written before. It wasn't so meta. Sure, but, you know, yes, maybe this movie was trying to take itself a little bit too seriously. This is a movie for me where it's like when you saw it and how you saw it, that it will always bring back like super awesome memories because inexplicably, a 4th of July movie was released on October 17th of 1997. Hmm. Uh, Trent, Dave, you guys definitely remember Main Mall Theaters. Cat, I don't know if you do. It's an sure. old, it's not there anymore. I was dating somebody that worked there. And on opening night, she let in me and a bunch of my friends for free. Well, so did everybody else that was working there. So I saw this on opening night at like the 9 p.m. showing with easily like a hundred people that didn't have seats. Like we were just sitting in the aisles. We were standing and like nobody was doing anything about it. It was the 90s. Sounds like a fire hazard. And it was one of those like horror movies where everybody in the theater is like standing up and yelling and cheering. Like it was so fun. So I could never not have like a fond memory of this movie regardless of how it holds up according to you. (gasps) And... Number two and number three crush for me in the 90s in Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Who was number one? Kirsten Dunst. What? 
Wow. What? She, she was like 13 in the 90s, first of all. No. Yeah, what are you talking wow, about? Was she sure. in a sequel? I'm pretty sure. Oh my God. Pretty sure. I, I'll have to double check my math. Interview with a pedophile. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, what year was Bring It On? That was like, yeah. damn. Maybe I should check my math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wow. Harvey Weinstein. The Victor wow, Salva okay. of Speak All Evil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but seriously, these two, I mean, yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Kat, you mentioned how Jennifer Love was trying to keep up with Nev Campbell. They were in Party of Five mm-hmm. at the time. Um, this was like peak J-Love and peak SMG. I think that this is not a great movie, and I will uh, defend it till the end of time because it's exactly what like a slasher movie is. It's like, mm-hmm. you guys keep bringing like, all these 80s slashers. This is exactly what you're bringing. It's just yeah. a 90s version of it. Yeah. So like, the music might not be as good. Like, you know, we don't have the guy from Yes doing the soundtrack. We maybe have some like new metal or like bad alternative rock that we have to like sit through. But it's like by the numbers slasher movie. Yeah, less and gore. Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit less gore. I forgot, like, the twists are actually pretty good. There's some good mystery and, like, suspense in this. The one thing I will criticize this movie for, it's the beginning of the end of Microfiche. Mm. Mm. We get a very early 1997 (laughs) internet scene. Very primitive. It was the end of one of our favorite things in horror where you don't have to go to the library anymore. However, you do get at the end, Trent, as we saw, the clippings. All oh, yeah. the news. So we haven't quite gone away from that, but I do think to criticize this movie, Kevin Williamson started the end of Microfiche, and I will never forgive him for that. Mm-mm. I think when mur- the people that are investigating murders stop putting the tacks and the threads on the map on the wall, then it's just over. You know, when they're just phoning it in, getting the DNA and all that stuff. Yeah. Like they, they, that's an essential process. I thought this movie was just all right. Uh, I think uh, Freddie Prince is one of the greatest haircut actors yes. of our generation, oh, yeah. uh, or your generation, Cat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a hard time with this era of horror because this was the time in horror where I was. It was movies like this. It was making me think horror is never going to be great again. We're, we're just going into this, and this is what it is now, and I have to come to grips with that. But Kevin, you put it in the light of how I watch an 80s slasher, like The Burning, and my standards are so low when I watch those. (laughs) And when I lower my standards to that, um, I can enjoy a movie like this a little bit more. Some of the red herrings were a little blatant, and I don't know if it was just the overacting or if it was like, you know, like the story, but... You know, if this did come out in the 80s, I think I probably would have liked it. Speaking of that and its connection to the 80s, um, there's also a very clean trunk in this. We had talked about the clean shears between each Mm -hmm. stabbing. Possibly, your theory was that maybe he was cleaning his shears in between. That was cast theory. The the first (laughs) kill that you see, uh, uh, Max, uh, when he's in the trunk... Uh, is very it's very gruesome. I mean, I, I would not want to find that in my trunk and have to clean that up. Moments later, they come back and it's completely clean. Where'd the this crabs guy's go? good. He's a fisherman, Dave. He is oh, a fisherman. Yeah. He knows how to deal with gore and crabs. Watch the, the cleaners. The physical crabs. The, the cleaners cannot be trusted. They can get rid of all the evidence. 
I feel like all the movies that are derived from urban legends are kind of whack. I feel like no one has really killed the urban legend thing because there's a lot of like scary, spooky stuff, you know, uh, when you hear these like ghost stories or whatever. And I, I don't feel like anyone has nailed it. If you guys know of any time where someone's nailed an urban legend. Cat, here's your calling. Your next pick, urban legend. I love this movie. I thought this was great. I, I don't think I had ever actually watched this movie from beginning to end in one sitting. Like, I've seen a lot of it because it used to be on cable TV so much. This is a movie that I just would always be flipping around and, oh, you know, this is on. J. Love Hugh and Galar running around. Uh, uh, Geller? You just turned Galar. it to me for a second. Galar. Galar. Sir Michelle Galar. Sarah Michelle Geller. Galar. Galar. So this is just always one that I would stop on like, hell yeah, you know? So I had seen a lot of it, but I don't think I had ever seen the full story. I never knew that this was written by uh, Kevin Williamson. I like that it's not meta. I like that it's just more of a straight ahead slasher. I don't, you know, that stuff to me, I don't know. It doesn't age that great. Once you've gotten the joke, I feel like with the meta, the self-referential and all that stuff, I, I just feel like the joke wears a little bit thin over time. This doesn't, rely on that this is just a straight ahead good slasher you said kevin like not as much gore there's no gore in this at all that'd be my only complaint um there are a lot of boobs in this um they're just clothed boobs mm. this gives you more boobs than you can shake a slasher at this the whole time <laughs> you know that's kind of it is it's literally shot so that every scene every scene is like down the, the focal shirt. point <laughs> Of your eyes is directed to stare at boobs, <laughs> not anyone's face. I, I thought that this was great because it has the the same campfire urban legend story as the burning. I like that stuff. I think that's fun and that I think that's tradition. And so this follows the same tradition of the burning. I like the whole reassembled ensemble where something happened to them reminded me of it. The classic kind of thing where something happened years ago. This is only one year ago, but everybody's gone their separate ways. They were all tight friends in high school, and they all have to reassemble and confront the thing that happened in the past. I really liked the um, the heart of the story is this kind of like this moral question, which I didn't know this was a novel either. I would guess and I would hope that that was probably a little bit set up a little bit better in the novel. I thought that the moral question that's supposed to be the center of this movie, which is their fear of getting in trouble versus their willingness to do something even worse than they've already done, which is like get rid of this person's body. They don't even know if he's dead or not. I thought that would have been better if like they were drunk driving. Like, I don't know if it was like too controversial to have um, Ray as Freddie Prince is driving the car and he's sober, but everyone else is drunk and they kind of distract him and he hits the guy, and and the excuse is like, oh, they'll never believe I was driving. Like I know, yeah, they know that yeah. too. You were the designated. I know. Like, why Ryan wouldn't they Philippe's believe that? Car. It's my car. It they they wouldn't believe that you were driving. Uh, people like, commonly have the sober person drive, and then the drunk people, and then they would give him a, a breathalyzer, and he would be sober. So you're not on my insurance, if, bro. If, they'd never believe that. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I was gonna, if I was gonna remake this movie, and I think this could be ripe for, I'd love to see a reboot of this. I would just go ahead and have. The driver of the car drunk. That's to me what would make it more compelling as a moral question. They don't want to go to jail for OUI, lose his license. They're under 21. It would cause all kinds of problems. 
I really feel like that was kind of a stretch that they would go to these great lengths. They're carrying a body now in the trunk, down the pier, into the water. He's still alive. I mean, it's just a little well, much. That's why I hate this era, because it's yeah, the era thought- of studio-like schlock like horror started getting commercialized so therefore you have these things these moral issues that come up yeah like in this this is no video nasty you know so the the book came out in 1973 and lois duncan the author she hates this movie one i heard that too i i haven't read the book but i did like read the synopsis it's it's not a slasher it's much more of a mystery and then in even less taste she had a daughter who was killed and the killer was never caught, and this is back in 1989. So she hated the way that her mystery novel was turned into a slasher. Um, but, you know, you sell the rights to your stuff. Another interesting thing about this, you have Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie P- Prince Jr. are dating in this. That's Julian Ray. Then you have Sarah Michelle Gellar as Helen. She's our, our beauty queen. She's in all kinds of local pageants. And then Ryan Philippe as Barry, and they're dating. This would spark true romance, as mm. now Sarah mm-hmm. Michelle Geller and Freddie Prince Jr. have been married for many years and have children. And then you would see Sarah Michelle Geller and Ryan Philippe go on to star in Cruel Intentions. Oh, that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a great one. Yeah. Another that. very horny mm. <laughs> movie. I'd say more uh, horny that is than fantastic. this one. Yeah. But you've got like four that's of That's why you guys like it. You, like, you went through puberty with this movie. Yes. Yeah, I was I not. did. I felt like I was going through it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> and then randomly you have uh, Anne Hesh show up. <laughs> to just... Hesh. Hey. Oh, all right, yeah. calm so, down, Galar. Get the fuck out of here. Hey, I just, I really uh, enjoyed um, some of the 90s slang in this Upchuck. Haven't heard Upchuck in quite a while, but even better than that, wigged out. Just, wigged out. Sorry, I wigged out back there. I haven't heard anyone say wigged out. I like in a how when Helen time. and Barry, Helen is describing to Barry how their future is going to end up, and part of it is he's going to go to rehab. So like they're like yeah. all drunk before like the the car scene and like before the campfire like uh, hook hook urban legend and she's like and then then i'm gonna do this and then i'll do that and then you're gonna go to rehab (laughs) like that's your fucking dream future like (laughs) that's my dream girl (laughs) (laughs) it's even better if you say their last names barry cox and helen shivers (laughs) from croker like i did appreciate that that was a little meta by the way uh to to piggyback on your remake comment Amazon Prime just tried to do that. They did. They did a and series. And they did a TV series. Oh, okay. And it was horribly received and canceled after one season. I would just have to put that the uh, the title of this movie is better than the movie. Here's a question. If you were to uh, face off against someone who had giant shears or a tiny little baby hook, what would you rather face off against? The little baby hook. Oh, the hook. Baby hook. Yeah, That's definitely. That's what I'm saying. He's just the... swinging it willy-nilly, left and right. You could very easily The last guy was subdue. a burn victim. Like, yeah. why Why do we have to have the handicap always, uh, you know? Mm. This guy didn't have a hook for a hand, though. It He's was just yeah, holding yeah, yeah. a fishing hook. He that's was, not. That's not till the sequel. He was holding. Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, because it's at the. <laughs> that's oh, not till the sequel. Spoiler alert. Yes. Oh, that's true. The end. Well, that was the big thing, too. He's like, word of advice, if you leave someone for dead, make sure they're really dead. And then they, again, don't do that. 
at the end, and so obviously there's going to be well, a testament many a sequel. to the franchise. The sequel to this movie is one of the worst sequels hmm. ever made. I did not see it. Yeah, the third one was like straight to video, right? Oh, the yeah, and the third one is barely a movie. It looks like we shot it like here because um, J Love came back for the second one. Yes, but not uh, so did, SMG. So did Freddie. Well, she's dead. Right, kind of hard. Freddie Prince Jr. before. The two survivors of this movie. Could have been a and prequel. Look, if we're spoiling, I, I know what you did last It summer. spoils itself. There's a scene where um, they give you the biggest clue where someone says, hard to believe that's the guy. You know, when they're trying to find, it's kind of right there. They let you know that it's not the guy. I thought the twists were okay. Yeah, no. I Knowing what happens. They were good. just gives you a little clue. It also that... ends in a way that I have not watched the sequel in a long time. But this movie ends in a way that makes me want to go back and watch like the first five minutes of the sequel to be like, how'd you pull that off? Yeah, because that that's a great end. I love the way this ends. Really good ending, and it wasn't the original scripted ending from what I understand. The way that this was made was in a way that it was like, I want to, the story to shine through, and I don't want to just be known yeah. for the kills or yeah. whatever. Yeah, Which, definitely. Which, to me, made it less compelling. Yeah, like, I agree. I, I yeah. Oh, I would have loved no to gore. see some hook like. It thought it was too good to give us action. The, the like gore. hook in a face. Yeah, yeah. like have up. it be smart and have it be gory. Like yeah. that's. It's almost like they were potentially like fighting with the studio between PG thirteen and rated R. Yeah, that's kind of the feel that I get too. And I, um, I read that the director didn't want any gore in it originally, and even the the one scene where the blood splatter is on the window. That was filmed after the rest of the movie to Johnny add Galecki's a little bit in there. Wow, movie. to add. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Johnny Galecki's uh, death scene was post. That was a reshoot. Oh, that's right. That was yes. added after the fact. Like, because they right. were like, okay, I guess it's going to be R, so we probably should try to like make it a horror movie. You can't win with these studios. Yeah. You can't win. You try to have no gore, and they're like, well, well gore is in. Kat, I was curious to get your thoughts when I was watching this on uh, J-Love's multi-necklace choker situation she's got going on there. Was was that ever That's a just thing? just pointing directly at her boobs? It's, <laughs> I, I don't know if there's all this like purposeful pointing. I think we are looking at it. Uh, no. 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 I'd say it's purposeful. One, you said uh, every scene in this movie two, directs you towards... The 90s were very accessory heavy. It was a very yes. accessory heavy era, for sure. Lots of chokers. Mood rings, like just right now. Right, just like a thousand mood rings. Yeah. And you know I love a good ring, but I'd say a bit too much. Like there it is right band. there. Look what at is that. this, the Spice Girls? <laughs> I just can't. I mean, look at Johnny Depp. She's wearing overalls, and they're still finding a way to show her boobs. Yes. They know what the people want. I, I would say not since Burning Bright. Have we seen something so carefully crafted to look at, you know, and just enjoy the aesthetic? Yeah. Talk about the tiger? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan Philippe, he's the glazer of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah, but look at him. He's very handsome. So He's very handsome. Yeah, this has something mad. for everyone. Why I appreciate is he mad that. all the time? Like, he's yeah, even mad have before gore. they run over the guy. Doesn't have gore. More gore. More definitely needed more gore, um, but I still think it's good anyway. And this is on HBO right now or VOD. Huge hit, seventeen million dollar budget. I was blown away by the fact that even for ninety seven, that this was seventeen million bucks because you had four huge stars at the time, 
and it made $125 million. Yeah, yeah. Massive crazy. hit. That's yeah. why the terrible sequel And then just totally squandered. Movie. Never went, you know, had one more sequel that even you're telling me is terrible. and It's bad. It's like Jack Black's first movie, and it's... The saddest thing Oof. about this era is that if you have a movie that has like special effects in this era, it costs like a million more dollars. But yeah, it's something yeah. you, you can do on your iPhone right now <laughs> and just throw it up on Snapchat. Well, at least J-Love would go on to inspire the hit John Mayer song, Your Body is a Wonderland. Thank God. Is that sexist or sexy? That's just what happened as I understand it. A little it. bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I'm not going to argue with him on that one. I'm surprised you didn't say Jennifer Love Hewitt is the most beautiful woman we've ever talked about on our podcast. <laughs> the great now I'm not that I'm not that big on Jay Love, but she I is the uh, the greatest actress who inspired a John Mayer hit song <laughs> of all time. There's actually a lot of those. There's like 11. <laughs> I would like to clarify, Kirsten Dunst is only two years younger than me. Okay, Kevin. Okay, okay, Don't okay. backtrack That's almost now. creepier, but I fair. That fair. is creepier. <laughs> <laughs> You're into people that are like your own age. That's gross. Ew. <laughs> <laughs>